Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? You told us, well, it's going to be time to panic. Well, is it time to panic? Well, let me just tell you, folks, it's never going to be time to panic because we're never going to give up. We're not going to give up on America. America is worth it. America is worth it fighting for. America's worth not giving up. And while we have that attitude of not giving up, we are constantly going to be searching, strategizing, coming up with ways to prevail. We've got the basics. We have we have millions and millions of Americans that are fed up. Can't wait to do something about it. There will be a series of ideas that people come up with based on dealing with the fraud that we know we have to deal with. You're not alone. You're not a singular individual all by yourself out there trying to fight these people by yourself. There are 74 million plus and growing. We're not going to give up on America. From sea to shining sea, three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. Welcome back. Hour number two of the Wendy Bell Radio program. Hey, one and a half million downloads of the podcast and growing Wendy Bell Radio, wherever you get your favorite listening information. Um, You know what? Brandon Strzok, I, I have to say, is so many things. We could describe him in so many ways. But most recently, he was slapped with a label that I know he never wanted. January 6th defendant. And he joins us now after winning his case and proving that the officers, state or Capitol Police, who lied and said that he violated their civil rights. He won his case. Vindication, yes, but more details are coming out. Brandon, welcome back. I'm so happy for you. Hey, Wendy, thanks. It's good to be here. Tell everybody this stuff about this one guy, Byron, this one officer who wasn't anywhere near you. Brandon, none of these folks was anywhere near you, and they sued you for violating their rights. Talk about the incredulity you have to this. Yeah, so, well, first of all, let's explain to everybody that we're talking about a civil case, not a criminal case. So, you know, on January 6th, I went to the Capitol uh, because I was a scheduled speaker. And when I was arriving on the east side of the building, I was hearing that people were going inside the building. I was getting text messages and things like that saying something was happening. So I walked up to the east side, and when I got there, the doors were open and people were walking in. I never entered the Capitol. I never committed any violence, any vandalism, theft, or destruction. In fact, I stood outside of the building shooting a video for eight minutes. And then two and a half weeks later, I was raided by the FBI, I was taken to jail, and I was criminally charged, and I spent the next year and a half going through a criminal case. Well, about nine months into that, I was also served with a huge stack of papers saying that I was being sued by eight Capitol Police officers who are black and brown, and the reason why this is relevant is because they're being represented by a George Soros-funded nonprofit law firm out of Washington, D.C., called Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. 
What this law firm does typically is engages in lawfare against overwhelmingly conservatives, Republicans, uh, invoking racism, white supremacy, things like that to to bring these lawsuits that are designed to destroy people's names, reputations, and their bank accounts. And so in this particular case, they came up with an idea for a lawsuit that they called Smith versus Trump. And they served me and Donald Trump and about two or three dozen other people under the KKK Act, alleging a white supremacist attack and civil rights violations against these black and brown Capitol police officers. So I've been going through this civil case for almost two and a half years, in addition to the criminal case against me and in addition to having to go through everything with the January 6th committee. So I was really getting the whole trifecta. But what you're referring to is that I, um, over the last uh, week or so, I've announced that I officially won my my case. They came at me with six different counts. I've now been dismissed from all six counts in this lawsuit, but not until we had to go through discovery. Um, and, And in the process of discovery is where we learned, you know, we had the opportunity finally after all this time, to, to ask these officers questions, you know, simple questions like, where were you? You know, you're claiming that Brandon Strzok is responsible for your assault and battery. You're, you're claiming that Brandon Strzok is responsible for you being injured. How is this possible since Brandon Strzok didn't encounter any police officers on January 6th? And so what we learned was uh, incredible. Uh, one of the officers, Michael Fortune, was in Maryland at the time that I was at the Capitol, one of them, Byron Evans, that you were just referring to, uh, we learned that he he actually had run to CNN early on. Early after January 6th, By- Officer Byron Evans ran to CNN uh, and talked about how he was fearing for his life on January 6th. He thought this was going to be the end for him. Uh, but then we eventually learned that he was actually watching on television uh, from a secured location in a building next to the Capitol. I mean, these are just a couple examples. And you know what? I think one of the things that struck me, Brandon, was when you revealed these folks came to you and wanted you to settle in advance, right? They were trying to squeeze you for money before they thought, of course, they could frighten you and that you would just agree to pay to make them go away. How did they go about approaching that? Okay, so, right. So once the, uh, there's a very fascinating thing, and I'm going to kind of explain this a little bit to your audience because I never would have believed it myself if I hadn't gone through it. And my civil attorney told me this from the very beginning when I got served in this case and I had to hire an attorney. um, And I ended up hiring Stephen Klein, who uh, is is a great First Amendment civil attorney. He's represented Project Veritas and other groups. Um, But he explained to me early on, he said, in civil court, in civil cases, the judge is really bound, bound by the complaint that he receives. So the judge has to presume that everything he's reading in the complaint is true. And at, at, in that stage, early on, it's the job of the defendant to basically say, okay, even if the allegations against me are true, here's why I should be dismissed from this case, or here's why they don't have a case. And if you're not able to successfully do that, then you have to enter discovery And once you get through discovery and you're able to actually gather some evidence, then you can go back and try to get out of the case again on summary judgment. And if you can't, then you're going to trial. So this is crazy because I kept saying to my attorney, 
well, we've got a videotape. You know, everything I did that day is on video. Let's just go to the judge and show the judge my video, you know, and show him that this isn't true. And Stephen kept saying, that's just not how this works. This is why civil litigation is so expensive. Uh, but so we, we wrote our, our, our motion to dismiss, which was denied, which meant that we then entered discovery. So once you get into discovery, that's where you start racking up those $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 lawyer bills. And in my case, I mean, I, I was up to $150,000 by the time we got into discovery. So once, some, once a plaintiff has you in the position where you're in discovery, they know you're probably going to want to settle because you're going to want to stop the bleeding. Yes. And so they came to us immediately when the judge said, you know, you're, this is going to discovery. They came to us and they said, uh, if you pay us, well, no, no, excuse me. The first thing that they said was that they couldn't possibly estimate their, the, the plaintiff's injuries, the, the value of their injuries until they had access to my bank accounts. This is, that's an actual, true, real thing that happened. They told my attorney that they wanted to be able to estimate my net worth before being able to place a value on these injuries. Of course, I told them 100% not, that's never gonna happen. Oh my gosh. And so then they came back to us after that and they said, okay, how about $120,000? And this all goes away. And oh I, I believe me, I, I thought about it because I knew I'd be spending much more if I went to trial. Um, but I ultimately said, no, I, I can't, I, I can't fathom giving these people a dime. I can't see that's it. And that's, that's why I wanted you on because you had the ability to God willing, you had the financial ability to persevere. How many people do you think are twisting or are already in prison who ought not be, who don't have that luxury. This sickens me. How about you? Oh, it, it devastates me. And, and the thing is, Wendy, I actually have, I'd say, pretty severe survivor's guilt about this because I'm just one of about three defendants in this particular civil case. A lot of my co-defendants in this civil case who are still in it, I'm now out of it. I'm out of the case. But there's dozens of people who are still in this case as it proceeds forward, and the majority of them are Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, and the majority of them are sitting in prison right now. So, you know, as my attorney and I have been showing up for these hearings and filing motions and fighting back and doing what needs to be done, and to your point, paying tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to do it, these various co-defendants they're not even showing up for these hearings and they don't even have legal representation, which means when the day comes that they get out of prison, whether it's five years, 10 years, 18 years, 22 years for some of these people, when they get out of prison, they're going to have a multi-million dollar default judgment against them in this case, because they couldn't even show up to represent themselves while they were in prison. In my last 30 seconds with you, Brandon, are you going to sue? So um, I, let me say that I'll pursue any legal options available to me at this time. Um, and there's, I, I mean, Wendy, it's so overwhelming. Uh, the number of people who have defamed me, slandered me, mm. uh, uh, you know, done things to me, I really have to weigh which, uh, which people I'm going to go after because right now I have about four pending lawsuits 
that I'm going to be filing. And I know it's so easy. Believe me, my comments are flooded with people saying, you've got to sue them. You've got to sue them. It's not that easy, folks. It's not that easy. Yeah, every lawsuit. Yeah, every lawsuit, you're looking at a minimum of $50,000 to get it off the ground. And, um, and you know, and there's a, a substantial chance you'll lose. You know, so it, I have to think about it. And I have to be, you know, make wise decisions about who I'm going to go after. Yeah, I bet you that warm beach somewhere south, maybe where Joe Biden is right now. St. Croix with a cold beer sounds better than another lawsuit. Brandon, <laughs> we, Brandon, we think you're a rock star and a hero and... Uh, I love following you, and I'm sorry I've mispronounced your last name for three years. <laughs> okay, it's okay. <laughs> and to your point, I'm actually not allowed to leave the country for another year. I'm still on federal probation oh my gosh. until January. No! I'm still on federal. I'm on federal probation until January of 2025. So it'll be a long time before I leave the United States. I lo- believe me, I can't wait. I love you. I love you. I'll get that plane ticket for you first class. Brandon Strzok, ladies and gentlemen, a victor in a world of crazy. Congratulations to you, my friend. Wendy Bell Radio Program continues right after this. Well, welcome back to the Wendy Bell Radio Program. That interview with Brandon... You know, and I, I reached out to him yesterday as this story comes out because there's an interview. This Byron Evans Capitol Police Officer guy. I mean, they put, they give every single law enforcement officer a black eye. As a black man making outrageous and demonstrably false accusations. It gives black people a black eye. The same way as somebody in the LGBT community doing something that is wrong for the sake of their own glory or narcissistic ego garbage nonsense. It is a black eye to every single one else in that community who doesn't suck. We've got a major insecurity issue in this country. We've got a lot of people who feel the need to seize some shred of power or control or something like, I don't get that. I've never experienced that. I don't feel powerful when my work or my talent or whatever I do allows me to climb to the top of, of some career, like television. So I was on television for years and years and years. Whatever, I'm still on TV. Great, whatever. Okay, it's a job. I am a mom. It is who I am. That is me. That was a job. I never once felt as though I had power over anybody. I was more important than anybody. And I don't understand it. it I just don't understand it. And, and to hear a, this police officer admit in a live interview that he wasn't even there. I wasn't on the steps of the Capitol when I allege that the the smoke canisters, by the way, that came from the Capitol Police, affected my health. That because of these people, I was... (laughs) You lied about everything, you filthy dirtbag. And don't, by the way, think that you can say, well, I'm black, so you can't can't call me out. Because that doesn't fly anymore. That ship has sailed. I'm done making excuses for people who want to be perennial victims, who will twist and molest and distort law and order and justice and the words in the Constitution and the work of the founding fathers and every basic principle we freaking stand for. 
So, so we're going to bring on the show next, Gary Varvel. Th- this guy is in the world of artistic talent, off into the atmosphere. How good this guy is. We had him on a couple weeks ago. Loved his work. I reached out months ago. He hadn't seen my, my, my message to him. Stumbled upon me. Searched me. Saw a couple of my shows and said, you know what? I'd be happy to come on your program, Wendy. And so he did. And one of the questions I asked was, as a conservative opinion contributor, because that's what he is, in his cartoons, that's what he offers. His opinion. His lens. What's it? Do you ever feel pressure to, to not say something, to not create something, put out something that could cause people to get upset? And he's like, that's one of the great things about being kind of independent. I do my own thing. And all of these newspapers around the world have the opportunity to either take it or not. Well, he found out that the Toronto Sun, is it? Decided to cancel him. Recently, like within the last several days. And he didn't know why because they never told him. But they apologized for one of his cartoons. And the cartoon is of Vladimir Zelensky... And Joe Biden walking arm in arm away from your vantage point. And Zelensky, there it is, is grabbing Joe Biden's wallet, the wallet of America. Factually correct. How much friggin' money are we going to give Ukraine? Where did it go? What did it get them? Where are the receipts? Why did they want more? Why are you not allowed to ask? And then why did the Toronto Sun feel the need to pull the cartoon after a couple sniveling leftist hacks, probably wine-drinking suburban college-educated white liberals who complained about, ah, we're offended. They take it down. They write an apology for it. And then they cancel Gary Varvel. Just like that. Poof. One person. Sort of like that Maine Secretary of State. Poof, one person. Sort of like that Colorado Supreme Court. Poof, one person. I decide what is a threat to democracy. Oh, wait till you hear this interview. It's going to rock. And it's next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. So I remember asking Gary Varvel. He's this internationally renowned and syndicated political cartoonist. It's phenomenal. He writes his political opinion in artwork, and it's funny, and it's timely, and it's his, and it's fantastic. And I asked him a couple weeks ago when he was on, what's it like? I mean, are you ever worried about any kind of pushback? And he's like, not really. I just stick to my heart. And then he reached out to me yesterday, and he's like, you'll never guess what happened. Gary Varvel, welcome back to the Wendy Bell Radio program, my dear. Wendy, thank you for having me back on. I'm a big fan. Ah, it's it's both ways, my friend. I feel it the same way. Tell tell everybody why you reached out to me because this is truly it's truly astonishing, sir, when there is no space for opinion journalism that goes against the narrative. Well, it's an interesting story and I'll make it quick. I was uh, on a uh, trip with my lovely wife. We were on our way back from Florida. My email starts blowing up with people calling me all kinds of four-letter words, which is not terribly unusual. But then uh, I noticed they were coming from Canada. And I, uh, as I understand, they were all upset about a cartoon I did about uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, picking our president's pocket. 
And uh, I, I guess there's a large Ukrainian refugee population in Canada. I didn't know, but uh, they all got very upset, pressured the newspaper. And then I, so I'm, I'm traveling, so I can't spend time with it. I didn't really get into it until I got home that night and then started doing some search on the Internet, went to their website, found out that I had been canceled. I mean, I've been in the Toronto Sun for at least four years. And they said this cartoonist work will never appear in our publication again. And then I also found out that the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, he had complained about the uh, anti-Semitic, as he called it, anti-Semitic cartoon in the Toronto Sun. My man, uh, it, 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 it was it, ridiculous. It was it was a pickpocket play, and everything that it, it was it represented was. in it is demonstrably true. How many billions, hundreds of billions of dollars are we giving these guys? Right. Well, we've given them one hundred thirteen billion dollars, as I understand. And the, the question is, we don't really have an accounting of where the money went. And uh, you know, if you I checked out on like Verify This website and. They said some of the money, it, the, the appropriations was very open-ended, so the money was going to salaries and stipends and also even pensions. And so when they when he comes back and asks for more money, I'm like, well, wait a minute, we, we need accounting here. Here's the problem, Wendy. We're almost $34 trillion in debt. We're broke. And the money the government is giving is taxpayer money. They don't have any money. A hundred percent. It comes from us. A hundred percent. And so they cancel you. They apologize on your behalf. Like you have offended somebody's sensibilities by daring to share your view of the truth. And then I read some of the comments, Gary, these people, some of these yeah. folks, they, they accuse you of all of these nasty things. But in a beautiful Substack thread that you dropped, you go through and you're like, well, if I was an anti-Semite, would I do this? Would I have printed this yeah. about Vladimir Putin? What would I, right? Right. Yeah. They said I was Putin's lapdog, but then I show a bunch of cartoons in my newsletter of how I drew Putin as Adolf Hitler, uh, Putin as mini-me to uh, China's President Xi. And I, I, I have drawn Putin as the devil pretty much all the time. Uh, I love the Jewish people. I love Israel. Uh, you know, because I'm a Bible scholar, I, I have, you know, I, I'm fascinated with the fulfillment of prophecies made 2,600 years ago about Israel, which are coming through today. And so I, the, you couldn't be farther from the truth in calling me an anti-Semite. They didn't like the way I drew Zelensky, which caricature exaggerates, as you know, <laughs> uh, features of people. <laughs> and, and so they just they, they made mountains out of a molehill. Mm -hmm. And I understand, being in the newspaper business for 40 years like I have, uh, that the it, the times have changed. Editors don't have the courage and don't have really the position to push back anymore. So when people complain, they don't want to lose subscribers, so they basically cave. And then the cartoonist gets thrown under the bus. Now, I will remind everyone, I didn't force them to print the cartoon. They They chose to do that, but none of them got punished for it. I got punished for it. Right. And I love that you find out not because they ever told you, you were never notified. Nobody ever reached out no. and said, you know what, we're kind of kind of weird about this particular cartoon. We want to talk to you about it. All of a sudden, it, you found out because people were, were giving you nasty grams. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
And but you know, uh, when I also went to their website and started looking at the comments, you know, at that time it was over three hundred, and I think it's way over that now. But it seemed like about ninety percent of them were supporting me. Stuff like you know, why are you apologizing for the truth? And and one person said, you know, why why is the cartoonist being punished? And and it was just a cartoon in all caps. You know, they were just saying what I was trying to say. One guy really got it. He said it wasn't poking fun at Zelensky. It was poking fun at Biden. You know, Biden is pretty much oblivious of most things. And to just be giving money away, I, I just want an accounting for it. Now, Congress, the Republicans tried to pass some kind of bill of accountability, but they... But they wanted to create a whole new department with, you know, with $10 billion. It's ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And, and so then I, the Democrats voted against that. But then sometime later, Pentagon set up their own um, department of kind of overseeing where the money's going. So we've got the Fox uh, regarding the hen house. Right. Now, so that's good. You know what's interesting about you? And I think that uh, I've stumbled upon this because while I like the shiny object, which is your beautiful cartoons. You are so much more than what you give to your readers every day. You do this Substack um, views from the right. And ladies and gentlemen, I strongly encourage you to follow and support him because you almost you absolutely do more work than journalists today. And you just wrote about this spiritual transformation that we need in this country. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I've been writing about this kind of stuff for a long time. I taught an adult Sunday school class for about 25 years, and that's a lot of time every week spent in the Bible. And so as things started happening here recently with uh, with America, the, the, the transformation, especially from the Obama years to to today, uh, a lot of people are saying, what happened to America? Why is this happening? Well, I started doing a deep dive, and I came into some information that I started sharing on my news, on my Substack page. I did a series uh, some time ago about um, uh, a book written by Dave Brees in 1990 called Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave. I was fascinated by it because I think he's absolutely right. These, they were all born in the 1800s, and it's, um, it's Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, uh, uh, Sigmund Freud. There were these seven guys, and they wrote prolifically. And then during the 1900s in colleges, they started teaching that material. And that philosophy transformed America. So that when you get to 1963 and the Supreme Court kicks the Bible out of schools, up to that point... For 400 years in this land, the Bible had been taught in schools. 1963, it kicked it out. Then you had the sexual revolution. Then it transformed into the homosexual revolution, which is now transformed into the, 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 uh, the transgender revolution. And this is all biblical. Romans chapter 1, it really outlines the whole thing. So I encourage people, if you want to know more, follow my Substack page. Where do you uh, GaryVarvel.substack.com. GaryVarvel.substack.com. It is so worth it, my friends. Um, so where do you get your sources of information? Because you're not just some, I'm going to slap together a cartoon and put it out there. There is so much context. There is so much nuance in all of the things that you do. So where are you going to stay as in the know as you are? 
Wow, that's a, that's a tough question to answer because uh, there's so many different places I go, and, and it's usually not the mainstream. I try to see, because a lot of stories I catch wind of, and sometimes people plug me things, but I'll go to look for, like, uh, on the mainstream media, and there's nothing that they're, they're not covering. So I like, like, for instance, one of the guys I follow is Amir Sarfati. If he, he lives, uh, he's evangelical Christian Jewish man living in uh, Israel, and he's covering the war over there, and he's covering stuff that the mainstream media does not. And if you want to know about what's going on, follow him. I follow him on, on uh, Telegram. But uh, or you can just follow me, and I'm reporting about what he's saying. But and I'm about ready to get back into that. I did a when the war first broke out. I did like four days in a row of just writing about what the Bible has to say about what these wars uh, could be coming. And for for instance, in Psalm thir- Psalm eighty three, it talks about the nations that are going to come against Israel, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating because it's coming true. It's coming I mean, true. It's, it, you think when you think about when these prophecies were written. And now it's coming true. It's, it's amazing. The Bible just comes alive. So that's the kind of stuff I write about. So, you know, there's a lot of different people I, I kind of follow and I, I, that feed me. And then I'm just trying to feed my, my followers. I think the thing that's frustrating and the, and the theme of today's show is really about how without pushback, uh, these people yeah. will bow at the altar of whatever is trendy, whatever seems popular. And that's not the right course uh, of America. And then you have certain people who stand up and say, no, this is not OK. I'm not going to go along with this. Why? Why are some people willing and able to do that when the great majority just kind of lay low and want to stay out of the fire? Um, well, I think most people just are focused on uh, what's in front of them. They just want to live their lives, do their job, come home, eat dinner, that kind of stuff. And and then there are other people who are trying to figure out the bigger picture. It, it's uh, I'm trying to take more of a thirty thousand foot view of of world history, where a lot of people are just you know what's in front of them. And if I can help people see the bigger picture, then maybe we can uh, write the ship because we're going down. Now, I think a lot of people understand that America's got a big problem here. They don't understand what the problem actually is, and it's not who's the next president, although that's important. Uh, it is the spiritual direction of this country has been basically hijacked. And uh, when you look at what the founders had, had laid the foundation for so many times, Wendy, they said that religion and morality are indispensable supports. That's what Washington said. And you couldn't be a patriot if you tried to subvert those great pillars of human happiness. That's what he said in his farewell address. But we have not only subverted, we've kicked them out. We've rejected mm-hmm. God. Abraham Lincoln said the same thing in 1863, that they had forgotten God uh, and that he was calling the nation back uh, for a day of prayer to, to repent of our sins. Nobody... Nobody ever mentions repentance anymore, but wow. that is what it's going to take to get back on God's side. And, and so we've got a problem going forward. That's what, that's what I feel like my mission is in life, is to try to wake people up to that. I agree. And I just am such a fan. Gary Varvel, uh, dot substack.com. Is that what you said? Yep. Got it. You're a rock yes. star. You keep Thank in, you, Wendy. You keep in touch with me, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Look, 
It's so great when you're awake and you get off autopilot and you get involved and you start paying attention because you find people like that and they are everywhere. We're back right after this on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. I want to get back to this ridiculous apology that the Toronto Sun put out in defense of its cowardice. Look, businesses have bottom lines. I get that. Um, And I also understand that in a world right now where people are trepidatious about mainstream media and as well they should be. And more of us are getting our information from a multitude of areas. I mean, how many of you pay attention to to me, to Dan Bongino, Glenn Beck, Stephen Crowder, wherever you get your information, right? And how few of you are opening up your local newspaper? There's a, a major shift going on in this country. And it's important. So I understand that they're they're protecting the bottom line. But there's a there's a point at which we have to say, I'm done. I'm done. So you've got Ukrainian immigrants settling in Canada. Or is it just a Ukrainian population that years ago settled in Canada? I don't know. You mean to tell me that these people would complain about Gary Varvel's cartoon when we've given more than $100 billion dollars? To their country because you know what I say to that suck it I don't care what you think I don't care if you're outraged if a cartoon encourages you to sit down and jot a note a mean nasty gram demanding some action be taken suck it I'm not interested in you I will remind you and this is a silver lining perhaps so we've been following this new president of Argentina, Javier, Javier Millet. He was inaugurated 19 days ago in Argentina. Since then, he's eliminated 12 out of 21 cabinet posts in his country's government. He's fired 5,000 government employees. He's ended... 380,000 government regulations. How's that even possible? That you would have that many? Well, he's banned woke language in the military. There's a bill moving through their system to affirm the right to self-defense and one to legalize homeschooling of children. There's also a proposal to punish all riot organizers. What do we do instead in, in this world now of crazy? We go after the truckers protesting, fighting for freedom. We go after these people. We drain their bank accounts. We hassle their family members. We dox them. We destroy them. We throw them away. But riot organizers, eh, whatevs, no. Javier Millet has different plans for his country. How about 
future welfare cuts for road blocking, legalized paying contracts in Bitcoin, privatization of state-run companies, opened up the Argentina oil industry. 19 days. Do not think that a swift and focused and honest and moral leadership can't reverse in a hot second a lot of crazy. Often it takes one. Brandon Strzok was that one. How many others are out there? The people who are unwilling to let madness become the new normal. There was a good news we were going to play. I, I was interested in possibly playing for you last week. And it didn't really play well on radio. So many of you watched the video of our live stream. That's fantastic. Or you watch this program on Newsmax. Fantastic. A lot of you listen on the radio. And so I have to choose stories that actually you don't have to see to understand, but you can hear and get the gist of. This particular story didn't lend to that, but it was significant. It was a 15-year-old boy, a high school student. And he was at a grocery store. And he was in the parking lot when he watched a woman walk by. She was 65, not aged by any respect, but a grandma. And he watched a man who had been sitting kind of on the curb, maybe looking like he was waiting for the bus or something, who got up and beelined for her. And he started paying attention. The boy, 15. And this man tried to carjack her. And he jumped on her. And he tried to wrestle away her keys and out of nowhere, because I saw the surveillance camera. This boy, like grease lightning, flies across the parking lot and literally tackles like head first, boom, takes this guy down and, and saves, God knows what he prevented this woman from experiencing. And when he was asked and embarrassingly heralded in his classroom by the local news as a hero, because his response was, I just did what I knew was right. I did what I was taught. My parents taught me right from wrong, up from down, in from out, right from left. I get it. I acted because that's what you do. Yes. 100% yes. All right, don't go anywhere. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Wendy Bell Radio program, you know, Americans are getting the message. You are hearing the message. Something amazing going on in Texas at the border during the madness and the mayhem. You've got to hear about it next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network.